0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 12 of the Future Projection Podcast. I'm Carlos Colazzo joined, as always, by Ben Badler. Uh, ben, what's going on, man?
1: I'm doing great, Carlos. We got, I mean, we're, we're right in the thick of things with draft season right now. The minor leagues are back, and everybody's running <laughs> in, in yep. the minor leagues, at least in the lower levels of the minor leagues. It's it's kind of, it's it's interesting to see, all of these changes because they, they changed the rules this year in the minor leagues. It's it's pretty similar to what they did in the Atlantic league. So, so the new rules now in high a are that the pitcher has to step off the rubber before making a pickoff attempt. So you're taking away that advantage that lefties have that Andy Pettit, Julio Urias pickoff move Bach depending Good. on Screw your those perspective. So, I mean, they, they still have an advantage, right? Because you're, if you're a right-handed pitcher, your back is to yeah. is to the runner at first base. So so lefties still have an advantage, but they don't have the significant advantage mm-hmm. that they had before. And, the, you know, the Atlantic League did that in 2019 in the second half of the season, and stolen base attempts jumped way up in the mm-hmm. second half of the season when they did it and in low a the rule there is that you only get two pickoff throws to the base now you're allowed to throw over a third time but if you do that and you don't throw out the runner it's a buck I guess I guess the idea is that way like if, if you throw over to a base twice then the runner can't just take a, a big big old lead and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and just take off from there yeah so basically the the results are that stolen base attempts are way way up this year in a which i i i don't know that i i mean it's it's so it's it's different rules in hmm. place i i i do like that they're experimenting and trying new things to see what's going to happen when when you implement these new rules to see what the consequences are to see what the unintended consequences are cuz mm-hmm. there that always happens too but i i like that they're trying it and i i like that there is an emphasis on trying to get more more running involved yeah in in the game it's it's obviously something that's dropped off from and people want to say oh like don't change the game but but Baseball has changed. Yeah, baseball's quite, always quite a changed. bit. <laughs> yeah, the rules have have always been evolving. Mm-hmm. The game has always, the game, the game is always evolving, and the game is, the way the game is played has changed. The rules have changed, and stolen base attempts are obviously down from where they were before. You can say that's better or worse. I I, I would like to see speed get reward I would like to see more of an emphasis on on speed on the running game and on just having more value on having speedy players in your lineup mm-hmm.
0: yeah I definitely agree I, when we like just kind of trying to find out if the rates were up I, I tried to pull up I don't know the best place to find like actual league-wide rates and how to compare that historically but I'm just using minor league splits, which is, which is definitely a, a website. If you guys haven't heard of, I would definitely check it out. It's it's really useful for for checking on all kinds of stuff at the minor league level. But at low A, there are 11 players with 10 or more stolen bases as we record this on uh, Thursday night. Yeah, and we're about,
1: we're about 20 games into the season too.
0: Yep, and in high A, there are nine players with 10 or more. And then if you check double A AA and triple A for those leaderboards, neither of those levels have a single player in double digits so I would want to see like just historical trends because maybe it's just generally true that in the lower levels it's easier to steal bases because pitchers aren't as good at aren't quite as good at holding runners and catchers maybe are still trying to figure out the defensive side um but it does seem like the rates are up generally and the difference in those leagues seems pretty seems pretty strong at this point um but I I tend to agree with you I think that the more we can see baseball players be athletes on the baseball field and and be in motion and in action, um, the better. I, I think that's a style of play that I would love to see return. Uh, obviously, I understand the reasons why at the major league level stolen bases are, are de-incentivized. It doesn't really make sense to to take one extra bag when your offensive game plan isn't really to string along a bunch of hits, but really to, to hit homers you're going to score on a home run if you're on first base or if you're on second. So I do get it, but I mean, who doesn't love players like Byron Buxton or Ronald Acuna uh, just being really aggressive on the bases? It's, it's just fun to watch players get aggressive and it's fun to watch the best athletes in the game show off that athleticism. Um, So I'm all for making tweaks in the rules to the game to get the desired outcome and to, kind of tweak the style of play to be more fan friendly and more athlete centric. I think, I think you're right. The game has always changed and we've talked about it before on this podcast, but, but I think the people running baseball teams are trying to win and they're going to do whatever they can to win as effectively as possible. And you've seen them do that. And I think the people who are in charge of baseball um, should be, looking to respond to how the game is and make tweaks here and there to make it a, a fun product because at the end of the day it's an entertainment industry and i think you want to have the game as entertaining as possible that's not to say that you, you can't like stolen bases i'm sure there are some people who well actually i'm sure there are some people who don't mind this current game without stolen bases but i wonder what the argument would be for the person who's like anti-stolen bases in baseball i wonder if that's a a thing i'm sure there is just because everyone has their own styles but no, I do think we should be aggressive in kind of tweaking the game um, as, it, as it changes to make it as, as fun as possible. So I'm excited about these real changes. And the list of players, particularly in low A on this stolen base leaderboard are, are pretty exciting. We've got um, Nassim Nunez is currently the leader with 14, um, Braulio Vasquez, Zach Veen, Jordy Barley, Anthony Volpe, Matthew Barefoot, Josiah Dixon, Gage Workman, Evan Carter, Kyron Paris mason win uh those are all the the players who right now have 10 or more and and most of those guys are pretty exciting prospects so it's a fun one
1: yeah yeah i mean i, I like seeing a guy like like nasim nunez is a good example right because he's what a plus if not a plus plus runner so i, mm-hmm. I like that there's more incentive he was definitely
0: a 70 grade runner out of the drafts so i'll check and see what our reports have on him there
1: yeah. So I, I, that's, those are the guys I, I want more incentive to have those, those seven and, and eight runners being able to take off and be able to, to steal more bases. Now, Zach Veen, you mentioned, you know, Zach, Zach Veen is a good athlete, you know, Rocky's first round pick last year. He's, you know, six, four, six, five, good athlete for his size. He's certainly not a burner. Those, you know, those those, that the the low a rule, that's where I'm I'm not quite as sold on yet, because I don't, I don't want it to just have it be incentivized for average runners, or even I I don't necessarily want any average or or fringy or below average runner to suddenly start having more incentive to start running all the time. Now, yeah, obviously, if you have really good base stealing instincts and and a really good understanding of how to read pitchers and all that. That's, that's great. Those guys can steal, but just so that that's why I'm not quite as sold on that low, a pickoff rule. Now my, my instinct kind of says no, but that, that was also my instinct on the pitch clock too, that it, I thought it was a silly idea, but then you actually see it play out in person at games in the minor leagues and and we've had it for a while now and it's it's something where you don't even really notice it at all um anymore once the the novelty where of it Mm -hmm. wears off pretty quickly it's not like it's something you're paying attention to during the game and and it does help quicken up the the, just the pace and and the flow of the game so Mm -hmm. so i'm willing to see how it plays out but uh, I'm, I'm still a little bit more hesitant on that role than I am on that, taking away that, that lefty pickoff.
0: So you think you'd be fine if just like going further, implementing in higher levels and maybe the big leagues at some point, if it was just, uh, you have to step up, you basically have to disengage the rubber before you pick off. You think that would be a good compromise.
1: Yeah. Take away that again, lefties already have an advantage because they're looking at the runner on first base. So to take away that enormous advantage that they have now and make it more of an even playing field compared to what right-handed pitchers have, I, I think that's a good idea. And then, yeah, you know, I guess I'm I'm not sold yet on this pickoff limit rule. But again, let's let's see how it plays out over over the rest of the season and make some decisions from there. I, I mean, and the and the other. Angle, too, is you're not just getting more stolen bases. You'll, you'll probably get more caught stealings, too. And it's it's fun to watch a catcher with a great nice. arm who, or who's just really quick with his footwork and his exchange and getting rid of the ball, trying to throw out a runner at second base. Mm-hmm. It's awesome to watch a Yachty Molina or a Wilson Contreras uh, or a JT Realmudo, somebody like that, just gunned down a runner at one nine pop time, or, mm-hmm. or underneath that, it's you know we, we like with what we talk about with outfielders, where yeah, maybe arm strength, arm strength is probably the one tool that is the the biggest gap between how fun it is to watch and how much practical utility it actually yeah. has. As I far think that's as a great editor. way of framing it. Yeah value on the field cuz i you know it's i love watching a, an outfielder gun down a runner with a hose at at home plate but ultimately the arm is not <laughs> you know determining much of your value mm-hmm. a, as as an outfielder on the defensive side it's obviously more important for arm strength is obviously more important for a catcher but if if there's an even greater emphasis now mm-hmm. on being able to control the running game and having a catcher with a great arm or who's just really quick behind the plate to be able to see more of those throws, I think, adds to the game. At just the, the same way it adds to the game having having more athletes and and more more speedsters stealing bases too.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree, and I think also kind of maybe compounding with this in the future is just the, the robot umpires. When I kind of went back and forth on this, I was kind of like you, I was skeptical of, at first about just robo umps coming into the game at all, because I really think you can appreciate a catcher who is a really good receiver. And it's clearly a skill that can be developed and practiced and honed. And it's fun to watch catchers who are good at that do that. But at the same time, once catchers don't have to worry about receiving and framing at all, I think you're going to see a lot more catchers who do have really strong arms and, and their work is then going to become blocking, managing a game and controlling the running game. So if you're now setting up catchers to, to not have to get in a position to frame a borderline pitch and instead you're getting ready to try and throw out one of the fastest runners in the game, uh, I, I just think the entire base running game and trying to control the running game the entire thing gets more fun to watch. I would imagine um, the, the skills that that teams look for in catchers in, in a post robo ump world is arm strength and managing a game rather than receiving ability. Um, not to say some of the guys who, who are really good at, at receiving right now also don't throw hard. Um, but I do, I do think that just everything that you were talking about and with where the game is likely going hopefully the running game is more involved in baseball because I I think it's exciting. it would be fun.
1: Yeah, I appreciate the skill level involved in catchers receiving and the skill level involved in catchers framing, but I'd much rather see more of an emphasis on catchers who can Throw runners out rather than catchers who can trick the umpire. And I
0: think exactly that's a good point. And and for casual fans too, I don't know how many casual fans are really getting excited about a catcher who just shines at stealing a low strike. Like they're probably not even noticing that. So I, I think in general, I don't know if this is controversial at all, but I feel like catering towards the casual fan more is probably the way to go because the diehard, like I'm a diehard fan, you're a diehard fan, we're not going anywhere. We can appreciate the game in all of its various forms. Um, But if you've got a guy who has a cannon, who routinely throws out players and and puts up highlight reel plays on social media, uh, that gets people who are maybe less invested in baseball on the day-to-day level, more excited about it potentially. So yeah, I'm all for it.
1: it. And it also just rewards you for getting on base more. I mean, right now, guys, like you said, guys aren't stealing bases, just the math on it doesn't, Makes sense when, <laughs>
0: yeah. I wonder just, what the like, what is the threshold in today's game for how successful you have to be to warrant like giving a guy a green light. Like I know previously it was thought that like seventy-five percent is the threshold. I, I imagine it's higher now given the offensive environment we're in. Like, would would managers or or maybe it's the general managers who are the ones thinking about this more? Would it be like eighty percent, ninety percent? Like how good or how efficient do you have to be? as a base runner in today's game to make it worthwhile to get the green light.
1: Yeah. I mean, just the, the, idea that if, if you can get on first base and you're, uh, you know, a 70 runner, or, or maybe it's even, maybe it's even incentivized to the point where you're a, a 60 runner, it's, it's a pretty high likelihood or, or you're in that kind of green zone where it makes sense to try to steal. All right. Now there's even more incentive for you just to get on first base. Cause you could, probably get over to second base more Mm -hmm. with with a higher percentage chance so it puts more more action more emphasis on speed and more incentive to just to get on just to get on base
0: yeah and i think all of this just adds to the variety that you'll see in players in the game which i also think is generally a good thing like a guy like nick madrigal for example who doesn't really have a ton of pop is not going to be a guy who collects a lot of extra base hits if now, because he's a good runner, if now the stolen base is an avenue where you can pursue and get aggressive, his, his hitting ability almost becomes more impressive because then maybe he's more likely to attempt to steal and be successful stealing. Uh, and, and so the fact that you're only a singles hitter doesn't really matter as much because you can turn some of those singles into a double. So I just feel like it creates a lot more versatility in the game, and that's always a good thing in my
1: mind. 100%. Yeah, he's he's the exact kind of guy who I think would really benefit from these rule changes too. Uh, how many bases has he
0: stolen or attempted so far? So, yeah, so far this year through 42 games, we've already played 42 games. The season is flying by. Um, he has one stolen base and has been caught twice. And in the minors, he was a double-digit stolen base guy for – in both high A and double A in 2019. And he's a guy who, who is a good runner and you would think would, would steal more. But again, especially in the lineup he's in, there's really no need to try.
1: Yeah, he was a 30 stolen base guy in the minor leagues his last season there. But yeah, like you said, and, and, and he's on base a lot, but he just, it's, and he, he runs well. He's, he's a plus runner. I think he has pretty good instincts on on the base paths too. So yeah, incentivizing guys like him to run more, I I think is, is a good thing.
0: I'm just pulling up his sprint speed to see where he's at this year. Yeah. He's 82nd percentile in sprint speed in the majors and has attempted three stolen bases so far this year, which seems crazy. And I think uh, I was talking with Matt about this few weeks ago, just in terms of like fantasy stuff. I think Dan's Swanson is another guy who is a 60 or a 70 runner in terms of sprint speed. And he really doesn't try to steal all that much. So I'm sure there are a bunch of players who, who we could point out and who listeners are probably thinking of right now who are really fast and just never try to steal bases at the major league level again, because it honestly doesn't make sense. Um, but no, I, I would love to see this come to the major league game, but, but talking about speed, Ben, There are a lot of ways you can measure speed. And and JJ on Twitter, if you guys don't follow him, um, you definitely should. But he has talked a lot about StatCast sprint speed being misleading. Uh, There are 60 times that get cited in scouting reports. Um, Home to first times that get cited. There's the difference between your, your speed underway, kind of your top speed, your acceleration. There are a lot of different ways you can measure and quantify someone's running ability in, in terms of scouting a player, which of these, which of these measurements do you find valuable? Which do you think in your conversations with scouts have have you found that they maybe prioritize more than others? And what how, how do you scout speed basically?
1: It it depends at what level I think you're you're looking at the player. Obviously, we don't have stat cast for High school no sprint work. speed at the high school events. <laughs> yeah, we don't have that. I think look the the truth is I think sprint speed probably correlates pretty strongly to both the sixty yard dash and at least for major league players for home to first time too. Right, like yeah, like there are some players who maybe take a a, a bigger swing and get out of the box a little bit slower and they're. They, they might not accelerate quite as quickly as, as some other guys who are just better rudders underway, but that the end of the day, like the correlation between all of them is, is pretty strong. Like you're not going to have too many big gaps between them. Now I will say it's, it's different at the, at the amateur level. I think it's certainly for at the international level, like just throw out actually home to first times. Those 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 are really not indicative at all of a player's speed. You will see a player run a 60 yard dash, a legitimate, you know, 60 yard dash at you know six five, six six, a plus runner, and he'll be home to first four six from the right side, which <laughs> you would think is a well below average runner. Mm-hmm. But if you just like if you just go to a lot of games in the Dominican Republic and you, you just you see that consistently guys home to first time is is not in any way reflective of their their true speed. And I, I think a lot of that is just the way that they train. They they take the it's it's changing that there are the players are playing a lot more games now certainly than they used to 10 years ago even five years ago but a lot of it is is still all right you take live bp or you're playing in a sim game so you're facing a pitcher and there's either it's it's a live pitcher. It's it's not just somebody lobbing batting practice into you. You're facing a live pitcher. He's, he's up there trying to get you out. But there's either, you know, nobody in the field, or or maybe there's some, uh, you know, infielders out there, or some just some coaches out there to to help shag the ball. So so they swing and then they just watch the ball, <laughs> right? Because it yeah. doesn't matter. Like that, it's not a real game, they're just taking some live BP to, to practice hitting off a live pitcher or so scouts can evaluate them there mm-hmm. off of a live pitcher. And if you just keep doing that <laughs> over time, you don't get into the habit of running to first base as quick as you can. It's, it's not mm-hmm. like a hustle thing or, or anything like that. It's just, all right, well, this is what you're accustomed to doing. So then when you are playing games regularly in, you know, whether it's the tricky league after you sign or, or, or the Dominican summer league guys are still kind of slow getting out of the box. And it's certainly true at the amateur level. Now it, you know, that, that changes pretty quickly for, for players. Once you get accustomed to, okay, there's, if you're hitting a a ball on the ground or you're hitting the ball into the gap, you can't just look at it. You gotta run. It's it's not, you know, it's not like a hustle thing or anything like that. It's just what you are accustomed to, as far as your your training, and and how you've practiced. So, it's it, it's something that I think changes quickly once you you know get into pro ball and, and get more accustomed to it. But it's it's just another reason why, especially for those those young Latin American players who are 6'6", you 6'7", know, six, 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 runners, you can't just look at their home-to-first time and say, oh, he's he's a below-average runner. That's just not really reflective of their true speed.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, actually, because I was going to say that most of the scouts that I talk to for for draft guys, um, I feel like the scouts emphasize home-to-first more than the 60 time because maybe this just is like, you just know the context of, of the games that that the prospects are playing in. If it's a real game, maybe, um, and and maybe it's just different on the international side where a lot of the players um, domestically maybe aren't as in a habit of, of not getting out of the box quickly. But I know I've talked with scouts before who all bring up like a 60 time for a player and they'll kind of scoff at it and say, yeah, he's that, he runs that in the 60 yard dash in a straight line, but he's consistently slower out of the box. And, And for them, it almost seems like they're more interested in, what is your in-game usable speed? And I'm, I'm curious about like kind of how you will, how you would factor that in if a guy consistently has different grades in a 60 yard dash, which is really a, a time, a a length of running that is kind of weird for baseball. Like what does the 60 yard dash equate to in baseball? Exactly. We've always just done it or running 90 feet from home to first. And, you're not really running for extended period of time in baseball that much. Um, So how do you kind of deal with the differences of either a player is, is faster in a non game setting than he is going home to first. If there's a big gap, do you think like there's something, there's something off here that he's not able to do in the game? Do you discount that true running ability or is it just a matter of there will be mechanical tweaks that can be made at the plate to get a, a player's home to first more efficient because I really, I feel like the most important time for hitters in games that matter at the major league level would be home to first, right?
1: If, if you're trying to see, I guess for infield hits that, that matters. But if, if you're trying to see, you know, judge an outfielders speed yep. underway, then I, I want to know what his, top-end speed is or uh, like sometimes it's i mean again like if, if a hitter takes a a big swing as a right-handed hitter and he's kind of fallen off the other way well yeah like his his speed is going to look slower if you're going by the home to first time but that's not mm-hmm. a true reflection of his speed but yeah i mean look there, there are teams you know i go to showcases and they'll run the 60 yard dash and then you'll see scouts who are lined up after 10 yards or 20 yards or 30 yards. Cause they want to actually see those numbers. They want to judge their quickness. They want to judge their acceleration and how quickly they can kind of burst out of the, out of the gate that way too. Yeah. Have you,
0: are there any players that come to mind that are like naturally very, very fast and for whatever reason that doesn't really translate to anything in game? I feel like your point about the outfielders is really a good one because it, it almost seems impossible for, for a player who is an 80-grade runner in like a 60-yard dash situation for that speed to not play in the outfield. But if you're talking about infielders maybe who just don't have a chance to to get underway and run that much, um, and, and they also just don't get out of the box that well, maybe there are players like that. None come to mind for me, but are there any for you who who've played up or down from their actual – sprint
1: speed? I think at least as far as stolen bases, sometimes bigger guys and it's not universal. There are big guys who can steal bases, but if if you're a bigger guy, I think sometimes it takes a little bit longer just to get all of those, uh, you know, limbs and everything you have going and accelerating. Uh, So I think as a general rule, there's some, there's some truth to that. I've, I've heard scouts talk about that, bigger guys having a harder time accelerating and that having an impact on stolen bases, but it, it really varies from from player to player. Awesome. Well,
0: we're going to take a quick break, then we'll be right back. We've got a few more topics to dive into, and then we also have a lot of listener questions today, so thank you guys for sending those in, but we'll be right back. Okay, we are back. Um, ben, I wanted to ask you uh, a pretty important question: uh, Why is Jason Dominguez not playing baseball still? What's what's going on?
1: Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a you're about the fiftieth person who's asked me that. Uh, it's seems a pretty popular player, Yankees number one prospect, number one international signing from the 2019 class. But the truth is, look, there's almost no international signings from his 2019 class that are in full season ball right now. So you have Robert Poussin with the A's who's there. You have Yuri Perez, a right-handed pitcher with the Marlins who was not a big international signing. I mean, he's a very, very tall international signing. He's about six, six, at least. I remember when he was probably like six, five, hundred and, 50 or 160 something pounds at a showcase in the Dominican Republic before he signed throwing in the mid eighties or so. And I really liked him then. He seemed like he had good body control through strikes for a guy that size, which you wouldn't think would happen at that age, just being able to sync everything up. But uh, he did. And I mean, it just projection 101 everything was just screaming he was going to throw harder and now he is it's like low to mid 90s I think we've had him top out at I want to say like 96 or so something in that range so I mean 18 year old pitcher you you, you can kind of think about where that where, where that guy would go in the draft I mean a 6-6 pitcher with some more projection remaining throwing low to mid 90s throwing a lot of strikes feel for a breaking ball uh, big-time arrow-up guy. But but that actually is is a good reason why a lot of these guys are not in full-season ball yet, including Dominguez, which is that these guys are the same age as, as these high school seniors. These guys are still 18 years old for the most part. I think some of them are still 17. Dominguez is 18. But again, these high school players who are going to get drafted in July are all going to go out and pretty much go to the Gulf coast league or the Arizona league. And then, you know, typical schedule be 2022 they'll go out to low a to whatever we're calling these low a leagues now (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, and make their, you know, their, their first real full season then. So basically
0: people should not freak out because Jason Dominguez is not in full season ball right now.
1: No, I mean like, look, like, Eric Pena with the Royals, Maximo Acosta with the Rangers. All all these guys are still in extended spring training right now, which is where they should be. If they were in the United States, they'd be going up against high school baseball players right now. This is not some delayed timetable or anything. And, and And in Dominguez's case in particular, I mean, the pandemic really hurt. A lot of these players from that 2019 international signing class as a whole, the Yankees in particular, I mean, not only did they not have, did they not bring him to the alternate site, which is very reasonable, right? Like Pusan was at the alternate site, Hedbert Perez with the Brewers was there, but those guys were kind of anomalies, but the Yankees didn't even have an instructional league. Neither did the Cardinals. So, all right, most years, whatever, who cares? Instructionally, is not that big of a deal. But this year, it was pretty much your only opportunity to get your very, very young prospects like Jason Dominguez or your, your other rookie ball, low-A type guys into into some type of game and baseball and developmental environment that they, they just didn't get. So I, I think that... It really does hamper Jason's development as a player. I mean, he's super talented, so I hope it doesn't make too much of a difference, but really for all of these 2019 international signings, a lot of them, all of them just stayed at home in the Dominican Republic. Like they couldn't even be in the team academies. Uh, there was, it was open. The team academies and the DR were open to some Venezuelan players who either couldn't, get back home to their Mm -hmm. home country or, or just didn't, you know, just didn't want to go home for X, Y, or Z reasons, but there, there was a lot of baseball development going on for these kids. And that's really a crucial age for these kids to, to develop, to be, to be playing in games. So I'm really excited to see these 2019 kids playing this year, whenever, you know, the DSL gets started or or the GCL or the Arizona league, Mm -hmm. because yeah, I saw them playing some tricky league games and and some instructional league games back in 2019, but they haven't made their pro debut at the same time. I'm, I'm real nervous for (laughs) what it's, what it's going to look like Mm -hmm. because a lot of these guys have been, they just lost development time and it, it's really, uh, I mean it. it it's 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 going to be a tough roster crunch because you, you still also have to play these twenty twenty signings, like you know basically the guys who just signed in mm-hmm. January two thousand twenty one this year. There there are guys from previous classes, so yeah, there's no reason to you know worry about what's what's happening with Jason Dominguez or any of these other mm-hmm. twenty nineteen international signings as far as why they're not playing. Right now, that's pretty typical. But that said, yeah, it was a pretty rough. It was a pretty rough year as far as development for for a lot of those kids.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and you'd mentioned that just the fact that Jason Dominguez is the guy that you're getting asked about from from a ton of people, um, and I guess deservedly so. He is one of the more famous players who we really haven't seen anything of. And I kind of wanted to jump into how that sort of hype impacts the way that we talk about players the way that maybe scouts talk about players because of that hype i feel like on the draft side we've seen each of the last few years there's kind of a top guy entering the class and and whether it's because of prospect fatigue or whether it's just the wrong players become kind of uh crowned as the the top player in the class too soon in the process or just the top guys always get nitpicked that those top guys got bumped down a little bit. Bryce Terang and Peter Armstrong would be two examples of guys mm. who kind of entered our um our draft circuit as the top players in the high school class and then neither of them had like mind-blowing summers, I would say. Bryce Terang was particularly concerning for scouts at the time. I think Peter Armstrong was, was pretty solid, but again, Maybe even
1: like Dylan Cruz, I like, it sounds like Dylan Cruz had some more you know struggles but maybe even yeah. to a, to a similar degree with him I think just so, being it, so famous early on. Yeah,
0: I think I think that one might be a little bit tougher to peg exactly like this because I I do remember having conversation he had a lot of swing and miss during the summer and then during the spring he also we didn't get a ton of great feedback so I think that was a case where he just mm. for whatever reason wasn't playing as well and and again maybe he he was more nitpicked and he also had the the downside of being a right, right high school corner outfielder, which I think is a tough profile. And so with those questions, uh, and with a, a strong commitment to LSU, he, he gets there and all of a sudden he looks like the guy who we we're all expecting to see throughout his draft season. Um, but I do think it's interesting to talk about how hype impacts the way we talk about players, because even this year, I mean, and I, I'm sure I've talked about it before on this podcast, every time we put out a mock draft, uh, and Kumar rocker and, or Jack lighter, aren't going one or two in some combination people really like freak out. And I know there are a lot of people who aren't as locked into the draft who kind of, um, just kind of scoff at the idea of like high school shortstops going in front of them just because they are so famous. Um, but really like it's just a case where these guys are just all in a pool of, of five, six other players who are kind of in the same tier this year. So it's not that Kumar and Jack are, are falling down boards or something, or have struggled. It's just that there's no one, one talent, but it seems like this year. And I guess blaze Jordan would be another famous prospect who, I mean, we got questions throughout the entire draft process. Like why isn't blaze Jordan going in the first round? Um, And I think there are also cases where players like um, Steven Strasburg and players like Bryce Harper did go very high in the draft and were some of the best prospects we've ever seen. And how those expectations change the narrative of of how they are as players and how how successful they are and whether or not they're successful. Uh, So how do you kind of deal with prospect hype uh, ben both both as a, a fan and, and as a, a person who's trying to evaluate players I,
1: I think it affects the way that we view and talk about players and, and just in our own conversations with scouts it affects how a scout will talk about a player and I remember ta- I remember talking to it took me a few years. I think into doing this, just working at baseball America for it's like really, really click for me. And this might've been over 10 years ago now. So, but, but I remember talking to an international director about a player who was going to, I don't think he had signed yet, but he's going to sign for a lot of money. And he was like, I can't believe like, he's getting, you know, I'm making up numbers now, but like, you know, $2 million. There's no way I would ever pay for, you know, that much money for that guy. Like, I don't like this about him. You know, the swing it's, it, I don't like that. Like, yeah, like he's got some power, but uh, you know, it's not a premium position. He's going to have to really hit, like all these things, like very negative things about the player. He's like, you know, I'd go to like, you know, a million for him or like 800,000, but you can't go more. I'm like, hold on this guy. He just was like, (laughs) you just, I just thought you were like crushing this guy, but you were just really crushing him like relative to the price that another team was going to pay for him. The, the valuation, another team put on him. So, and, and I think that, you know, that happens in, Probably with pro prospects too. Where where if we have a prospect ranked really high, that's going to affect how a player is is talked about. Uh, that that same way, where where a scout will in, in a conversation with us will, uh, and and look, if we do the same thing. We'll we'll react to the player based on where where he's ranked or what the hype is around him or in the draft, maybe where he's perceived to go in, in the draft where like, yeah, like we're talking about a first round pick and we'll, you know, pick him apart a lot more. Or if, you know, we think maybe, Oh, that guy probably should go more in the third round than, than the first round, but he's getting this like first round attention. And here's, Here's all the reasons why I don't see it that way. And all of a sudden it seems like it's more negative, but no, you still like him as you know, a top two or three round guy, but then we'll talk about, and and we'll do the same thing on, on draft day. I'm sure I'll tweet something out of it. Oh, I love this guy. <laughs> I love this pick in the eighth round, or I love this pick in, in the 12th round. for well, yeah. yeah. I like him for where he gets drafted. Right, I like him in that spot. But if, if that same guy in the eighth round, I'm like, oh, I love that pick. If somebody takes him in the second round or, or the comp round or after the first round, I'll be like, well, what is this team doing? That's <laughs> such a reach for, hmm. for this guy. He doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. So, so I do think that plays a factor in, into how those, how those conversations go about players too. Yeah, it's interesting too. just the biases
0: that that you have in your head that you're not even aware of when you're when you know you're going to see one of the better players in a class or one of the better prospects in the minors, just that mentality going in and it's expecting to see one of the best prospects at whatever level it is, your expectations for what you're about to see the, the bar is set at a much higher level. Whereas if you see a player who you maybe don't know a ton of, or, you know, at the moment is like a lower ranked prospect, if he does some minor thing that kind of catches your eye, you're really impressed by that. Whereas if, if the very highly touted prospect just has a mediocre game, solid, nothing that you can really bang him for, but nothing that really blows you away, you're feeling walking away from that outing is entirely different. And and how that impacts how we think about players, how we evaluate them, how we rank them, and and also trying to think about how that might impact the way scouts uh, evaluate players for teams as well. It, It can be really tricky to try and navigate these biases that you have that you're really not even aware of, but if you sit down and think about it, probably manifest pretty consistently.
1: Well, I mean, think about my guy, Frank Mazzucato, right now. I mean,
0: that's a great example
1: high, high school pitcher in Connecticut who last year was like mid upper 80s, wasn't really on, you know, big national showcase circuit type stuff, but he's young for the class, athletic, projectable body, really good spin on his curveball. And I went and saw his second start this year. And I called you on the way, (laughs) like, I don't call you after a game. I saw Benny Mm -hmm. Montgomery and Lonnie White and Baez and all, all these other guys who are, you know, Chase Petty. I don't call you after games, but I called you (laughs) after Frank Mazzucato. I was like, man, this guy's like 87, 91, he touched 92. I think his previous start, he, he he touched a three, which is what he's still topping out at now. I was like, he had like a hammer curveball. he, Mm -hmm. Guy, he was executing it. It was it was consistently plus. Like, I don't know if I saw him on the best of his life or what, but it, it was he was adding, subtracting. Yeah, uh, he showed a little feel for a changeup too, really free mm-hmm. and easy delivery. I was like, man, this guy's not ranked anywhere, but he <laughs> looks like he'd go, I don't know, top five rounds kind of guy. We got to move him way up. Like this is a really cool sleeper.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now <laughs> it's like uh, <laughs> Does he go in the back of the first round kind of chatter? <laughs> I mean, I don't think like he's not making it to the third round unless it's some way over slot pay, it sounds like. So we're talking top 60 pick probably just just from the chatter. I mean, he has gone out and thrown four straight no hitters. Yeah, the guy scoreless. throws like a no
0: hitter every – it's like major league pitching out there with, with Mazzucato, just no hitter after no hitter
1: yeah it's 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 really good but then it's you know my reaction and I think the same reaction from a lot of area scouts because all these national guys now are coming in to see him and they're seeing him for the first time ever (laughs) in a lot of cases and a lot of the area scouts are like whoa 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 like I liked him just the way you liked him Ben as like this (laughs) like pop-up guy like we really liked the same stuff that you liked and uh, but whoa, like first round pit, like, like <laughs> so it just changes the way, yeah, it changes the way you talk about players and, and the way you react to them that way. So I think it's, it's important, I think for us to be cognizant of that fact and, and just write about the player and, and just, just try to be as, um, just try to be as, as fair and accurate about the player and and try to uh, kind of separate <laughs> and 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 understand that 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 th- those outside factors can mm. affect the way a scout will talk about a player in in conversations with us. Yeah, no doubt. I think another player who. Kind of reminded me and of I, And I, sorry, and I I love Frank Mazacato
0: still. By the way, that's yeah.
1: he's really talented,
0: no doubt. And, and that's the thing too. I was on a just a radio show with some some people in Baltimore talking about the draft in general, and I found myself like feeling like I was being very negative of Lighter and Rocker, but they absolutely belong at the top of the class. They're the two best pitching prospects in this draft class. But it's just when when you're responding to people who are just questioning why they aren't at the very top, it's like, okay, they're really good, but all these other guys around them are good too. Um, so you like, even when I'm thinking through players or, or talking about them with other people, you can come off sounding more negative than you actually are just because like for the, for me, for these high school shortstops who are, who are extremely talented, extremely toolsy and a number of them are going to go very early in the draft. It's almost like, trying to make people understand that they're all kind of in the same tier. I know this isn't kind of the exact same thing we're talking about, but yeah, it is interesting how just the perceptions of how you talk about players can impact like, like how, how you, I don't know, kind of rambling here, but.
1: I think, I think we also just have a tendency to, you know, look if we're going to say a a guy is the number one prospect in the country or or a top 10 potential pick, like we're going to pick them apart.
0: Yeah, more, more than we true.
1: are the guy who's going to be, uh, you know, go in the eighth round, go in the 12th mm. round. This is the same way we would do for the guy who's the number two prospect in the system versus the number 29. Like, yeah, like, all right, like the, the number 374th prospect on the BA 500. Like, yeah, we'll probably just mention, like, probably emphasize what he does well you know look every player some combination of strengths weaknesses upside risk Mm -hmm. we're going to present it all but yeah we'll probably get a little bit more nitpicky even on on the very top guys because those are the guys that matter the most Mm -hmm. i was just thinking about that like if you were talking about like let's say that the
0: consistency of a breaking ball like a guy like ryan cusick one of the things that scouts nitpick or i don't know if like you were saying, the top guys get nitpicked more. And there's a reason for that. But one of the questions with him is just the consistency of his breaking ball. He'll show a plus breaking ball at times. Um, but I've had it described to me as like one out of every five or six is a plus pitch. And the other ones are are 30 grade offerings or 40 grade offerings. Whereas if you were talking about a high school player who is ranked in the 300 to 500 range, just the tone of that would be much different. It would be it's not a plus breaking ball, but he flashes a a plus breaking ball every few pitches. And it would be almost like a positive connotation because he is not seen as this top two round player. And so you get excited about the fact that he is showing it at times. And maybe you can feel like in the future, he'll get to it more consistent, more consistently. So just the way that the same kind of issues in a pitch and the consistency of a pitch quality is framed is, is very interesting just based on the, the pedigree of a prospect
1: yeah i mean and some of that you know a college guy versus a high school guy is some for of it's sure. also probably just you know where you are in the for sure for curve, sure. If, if if you have you know you lack yeah that is it, a it, good point it, like you said that's, that's a good that's true um but yeah i mean look, like i write about international players who are 16 15 years old uh, just, I'm, I'm not going to write about them the same way i'm going to write about uh Twenty-two year old shortstop in Double A, right? Yeah. Now. <laughs> it's just, uh, but again, still for for the very top guys, yeah, we're gonna gonna pick them apart probably a little bit more. <laughs> and and again, every every player is some combination of strengths and and weaknesses. So you have to you have to present the full picture, especially for for those for those top guys. But mm-hmm. with yeah, I mean with with, with rocker. And lighter, I think they're uh, I, it's, uh, by far the most famous players in the draft. Not like, even close, far yeah, and away. I don't think
0: <laughs> it's like Blaze Jordan last year, but times ten because they're in college. People can watch them all the time on TV or streaming. They're at a premier program. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy the the fame that they have, and Rocker might be one of the most famous and like noteworthy college players we've had since I don't know he was he's more famous than Adley Rushman was and Adley Rushman was a, yeah. a much better prospect just in terms of the draft but m- way more of my friends who are just casual baseball fans are aware of Kumar Rocker and who he is and what he looks like and who he plays for than Adley Rushman
1: yeah I, I suspect most baseball fans have no idea who Marcelo Meyer is but exactly. I mean, it sounds like he might like there's there's a chance he could be number one mm-hmm. overall, maybe or know.
0: close to it. I mean, I, I think the number one conversation as we sit here today, we just had a, a mock draft come out recently, I think, in between our last uh, in between this podcast and our last one. Uh, we have Jordan Lawler there and we have Marcelo Meyer, too. I think it is very difficult this year to know the number one and we might end up just not knowing who's going to go number one until the Pirates pick. There's just not an obvious one, one, like we've had the last three years. So I think there's still a group of maybe five, maybe six players, maybe even a few more that the Pirates are still considering. And I think that, yeah, there's a very good chance that some of these high school shortstops who are less known generally are going to go in front of these Vanderbilt pitchers who are the most famous players in the class.
1: What, what is it with, with rocker, And later, as I'm like asking that question, I realize I'm almost asking you to like, tell me what all their weaknesses are and like bias the conversation, the way we just talked about probably (laughs) trying not to do, but I I mean, like, obviously, I mean, it seems like both of these guys could be front of the rotation Mm -hmm. type starters. I mean, what's, what's different now, what's different now compared to at the start of the season with them or or is the difference just I think that the these difference high school is, shortstops of no I think up.
0: the difference is mock drafts are coming out now and people mm. are seeing that there are possibilities real possibilities that don't start with Kumar and Jack going off the board first that it is a real possibility that these high school shortstops go off the board. I mean very early on in this process we had a top tier of Players that was Jordan Lawler, Jack Leiter, Kumar Rocker, with Marcella Meyer on, on the outside looking in. So it's not like it's not like Jack and Kumar have really disappointed or been really bad. I mean, they've they've shown some inconsistencies at times, um, but I think that's part of the reason why there's no one one in this class. If Kumar was was flawless every time out and didn't have any velocity fluctuations and his command improved uh, and you could project above average command on him across the board. He would probably be the number one guy, but he was never the kind of locked-in player that an Adley Rutschman was. And with Jack Leiter, the, the questions entering the year were, is he, is he going to hold up? We've never seen him over a full season in college. Uh, that durability is a question mark. And he's, he's performed. He's had, he's had outings where he's been a little bit homer-prone. He's also skipped a start uh, because he was managing fatigue, or, or Vanderbilt was managing his fatigue and his, just his workload. Um, So I think it's just a matter of people are now seeing in mock drafts, which many more eyes are on the mock drafts that there is no obvious number one player. And even though I've tried to, even going back to last summer, like try to say very clearly that like Kumar is not the one in the same sense that Adley is the one people are just now seeing that play out in mocks. And I feel like that that's making people think their stock is falling when it's really just this class is a jumble of players in the top tier. And we're probably going to try and sort through this up until the draft.
1: Yeah. If you put that in the intro to your mock draft, I guarantee 10% of people read that.
0: Yeah. I was about to say, well, no <laughs> one's reading the intro anyways, Ben. So,
1: I mean, it, I think it is
0: natural for people just to kind of jump to their team or their favorite player, see where he's at and then.
1: Control wonder F, why
0: yeah. <laughs> one exactly They're control. f-ing for, for the pirates or for the blue Jays or whatever your favorite team is control F Find the name, then go see where the famous people that you know, where are they going? Um, But yeah, I mean, like everything, this whole conversation, we've really been talking about like context for all this stuff. So I feel like that's that's all it is. It's Kamara and and Jack, either one of those could go one one and it would be a perfectly defensible pick. And I wouldn't argue and say, oh, they got it wrong. Uh, Like we've talked about throughout this process, it seems like every day, every week there's a new order that kind of pops up in our heads and you feel comfortable. And then something else happens the next day. You're like, Oh, I could see this. I could see it lining up this way. And it's just, it's just a tough class for that this year.
1: I, I hope Vanderbilt just goes deep into Omaha this year. And those guys just keep shoving back to back. That'll yeah. Be that's so much the thing fun. too. We're, we're talking about high school shortstops
0: at the top now, but these, these Vanderbilt pitchers do have more time. And I think it's generally true that the college players have more leverage to push themselves up or down with performance if they go out and shove i mean we could in the next mock we're talking about we could have jack lighter sitting at the number one spot or Kumar number one so um but that's just seems like it's the way it's playing out this year yeah uh we i mentioned the frank throwing seemingly only no-hitters this spring, kind of tying it into the major leagues because we have seen so many no-hitters. Do you want to comment on just the the frequency of no-hitters, Ben? It seems like, from my perspective, it almost makes it less exciting when they do happen. Do you think it's a problem that there are so many no-hitters? Do you think baseball is going to make any tweaks because of all of this? What, what are your thoughts on just the, the state of pitching in the big league game right now?
1: Yeah, it's... <laughs> It does seem to take away a little bit. I mean, look, like if you throw a no-hitter, that's that's still an incredible accomplishment. But yeah, just, just as a fan seeing, oh, this guy threw a no-hitter this week, and so did this other, like, <laughs> against, uh, it, it, it just kind of goes back to, I mean, you know, I think JJ has been writing about it, all the, just the, the strikeouts throughout the game and and just the decline in in offensive levels it makes it more likely we're gonna see all these all these no hitters so yeah it's it's uh i i guess not totally unexpected just given just given how many how many strikeouts we're seeing the the decline of uh of of offensive levels in in baseball throughout the game yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens.
0: But on a, on a more exciting note, our, it's becoming a weekly thing for me, our Vladdy Jr. check-in. Guess where he's Ooh. at on the, uh, the Fangraphs war leaderboard? Is he number one right now? He is number one. And it's not even really that close. Although I guess Mike Trout is not showing up in the top 10, and I'm assuming that's because he doesn't qualify anymore. Um, but if I – let me see. If so I change the, the plate appearance threshold so trout shows up. Okay. So he has there is a little bit of space between him and Trout, even with that. But Vladi's sitting at number one with 3.2 war and the next best player. Do you have any guesses who the next best player is in terms of F war? It's I don't think I would have guessed either of these two players, although if I lived around where you did, maybe I would be more aware. Oh, is Xander Bogarts that high? Yes. Xander wow. is tied with I would another not have player. Guessed that who is not geographically located near you, but always seems to start really hot every year? Uh, I think Central Division team. I was going to say Acuna, but that's not... Acuna is 8 right now at uh, 2.3, and I would guess... He still played 45 games.
1: I don't know. you got to give it to me. Yeah, it's uh, Nick
0: Castellanos, 2.7 oh, as I would well. I've not gotten that one. <laughs> yeah, tough. And Byron Buxton is at four, and he probably would be leading if he wouldn't. It's crazy. He's at 2.6 and has played 24 games. Vladdy is at 3.2 and has played 47. So if Byron was healthy, I'm sure he would still be leading the league. But I can say that my breakout hitter is leading baseball on F4, and I'm going to. So Vladdy stays every hitting chance, bombs. Every chance you can get. Absolutely. I think he's still leading the league in homers. Tied with Garcia. Yeah, he has 16 home runs tied with Adoles Garcia. And then Acuna and Shohei Otani both have 15. So that is your uh, weekly war check-in. I guess we can keep doing that until Vladdy stops leading the league, and then I'll just stop bringing it up. But, yeah, um, your weekly Vlad Jr. <laughs> love fest. Hey, someone's got to do it. You know, I feel like this used to be you, and I've kind of taken it from you at this point.
1: Yeah, he's uh, – he's, I mean, talk about guys like – and hype. <laughs> he, he has to be one of the most hyped prospects ever. Is I mean, he? Is he now in the like?
0: Because for a couple years, I feel like he flew under the radar a little bit. Is he now in? I don't, I don't even think he's in the Acuna Soto Tatis territory now in terms of general popularity in the big leagues, though he probably should be.
1: You know, just as far as
0: I just fame feel like he doesn't and, get talked about as much. Maybe that's starting to change.
1: Uh, I feel like coming into the year, he wasn't thought of in that class of players just because he hadn't performed to the level of those players, which is fair. But Mm -hmm. I mean, this guy, he was in the home run derby when he was what, like 20 years old, (laughs) before he had even become like the Vlad Jr. that he is right now. But I mean, when he was in the minor leagues, I mean, for the day he signed or even before that, I mean, he's literally vladimir guerrero jr <laughs> <laughs> he's the son of a hall of famer with the same maybe i'm
0: underestimating his height you know
1: yeah same name i'm sure like he's i'm sure I, I would bet this year when they come out with best-selling jerseys he's gonna be way way up there like top 10 maybe top probably top five of in all oh, of baseball that would be great i bet it, I bet he I bet his Instagram following if you do it out that way has got to be pretty high compared to other other players. So yeah, he's uh yeah. I
0: right. good like, to know. Vladdy properly, <laughs> properly hyped.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think uh I think people thought, I mean, that's the thing. I people, oh, he's so overhyped, he's overrated. It's like, all right, dude, like this guy is the same age as like what, Spencer Torkelson, like these college guys <laughs> who got drafted last year. Let's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's slow it down here he's mm-hmm. he's pretty good and absolutely I think everybody's seeing that this year well let's jump into some listener questions
0: um and for those who are listening you're probably wondering how long this episode is going to be because we typically don't get into listener questions this early but we do have a, a good number today and i think also this is probably the two or three week stretch of the year where I am the absolute busiest. So if you really love the, the two hour, two and a half hour, three hour podcast, you'll have to, uh, I'll have to apologize to you for this one because it is kind of crazy and we're being a little bit briefer, but it's still, we still got enough time hopefully to, to quench your, your baseball thirst, your prospect thirst. But, um, and again, if you guys want to send us questions, you can at future pro pod on Twitter. Um, you can also do that via Instagram or Twitter um, for Ben, which it's at Ben Badler for both of those, and myself on Twitter, Carlos A. Colazo. Uh, ben is good about putting out just a prompt on Instagram, asking for questions a few days before we're going to record, and we started doing that on the Twitter page as well. So if you follow all those accounts, you should have an opportunity if you, if you have something you want to ask us, but we can jump into them right now. Um, Dante Mataris on Instagram asked, where do you think Georgia shortstop Tamar Johnson will end up going in the 2022 draft? Uh, and he is referring to, uh, I think he's at Mays high school in Atlanta, uh, prep shortstop Tamar Johnson, who is one of the more hyped prospects in next year's class, along with Elijah green, who is getting a ton of the hype already. I'm, I'm already getting asked about Elijah green from, from Baltimore people who, we're anticipating picking highly again next year. So if we're talking about <laughs> hype in general, the hype is already starting for for 2022 prospects. But Termand Johnson, uh, we have him right now number three on our list of high school players for the class. That's going to get updated in a few um, a few weeks, uh, I guess, closer to the actual draft, 2021 draft. But I mean, at this point, there's no reason to think he's he's anything other than a first round talent whether or not that changes over the the course of the summer showcase season and, and his spring remains to be seen, but he is one of the more talented. And, uh, I guess he has one of the longer track records of high school players. He's played with USA baseball's 15 u team. Um, and he's just performed in a lot of events as a very young player and just always seems to, to hit at a high level. He can play in up the middle position. He's played shortstop. He's played second. He's played center field. Um, So I think he's going to end up going pretty good at this point. Obviously, we'll know a lot more now. But Ben, do you have any thoughts on Tamar?
1: Yeah, when he played on that USA team when he was uh, 15, there were people who were like, man, I wish this guy was (laughs) – I wish we could sign him right now in the international signing class. He really Mm -hmm. is, like you said, baseball rat who's – who's got really good instincts for the game stood out from a young age, really good tracker to heading really explosive bat speed, like just a really, really, really fast bat and a good feel for the barrel, not the Mm -hmm. biggest or tallest guy. I mean, he's not Elijah green physicality, but Mm -hmm. really good, you know, swing and and bat speed and barrel ability from, from the left side. Yeah, I, I agree. Looks like a first round pick potentially, top half of the the first round even that might be a little bit conservative saying Mm -hmm. that so you know a long way to go but Mm -hmm. definitely looks like one of the the top shortstop top hitters in the class for next year Mm
0: -hmm. uh hammer and hank on twitter asks any updates on james wood curious if there have been any updates from his negative early season reports from this year Uh, i don't think there's anything too crazy different i think he he did not perform as well as scouts kind of anticipated or wanted from him running in and again maybe this is a question of of expectations and hype I mean he had one of the loudest performances of of any hitter in the class last summer showed really impressive power really impressive bat to ball skills and then the spring uh, against good competition in Florida uh, he swung and missed uh, a lot more than than teams wanted to see but he always had swing and miss in his game so I don't know that it's it's too crazy. He doesn't seem like a, a top fifteen pick now, like he did at the beginning of the year. Um, but I don't think that's anything different from from what we we're hearing early on. Um, there wasn't like a, a short slump, and then he really turned things around. And people are like, "Okay, he's going at the top of the draft now." He still could go in the middle of the first round somewhere um, if a team really likes him. But I do think he's a bit of a split camp guy, um, and some teams are going to be concerned about the swing and miss. But at the same time, his his upside is pretty tremendous. Still, I don't think. The the upside potential for his profile has really changed because of that swing and miss. But teams are understandably going to be a little bit more concerned because they didn't expect him to swing and miss that much. But I don't think anything has really changed from from the early stuff. Ben, you have any thoughts on on James Wood, or you want to keep it moving?
1: Uh, yeah, I think you said it well. And oh, there's a lot of high school bats this year with some some hit risk too. Benny Montgomery, mm-hmm. Joshua Baez uh i i think once you get to like that 20 ish type range there, there's like we're talking about like with with Mazzucato and mm. there, there could be a whole mess of guys anywhere from you know 20 to 60 yep. who could uh you know we'll, we'll be lined up in very different ways on on different teams boards
0: yep all right, James on Instagram asks Jaron Duran or Jeter Downs. So Red Sox prospect question here. Ben, I'll throw it to you first on this one since I've been talking a lot.
1: I probably would have said Jeter Downs before, but the swing changes that Jaron Duran has made, it's legit, man. <laughs> I'm I'm buying with, with with his old swing. Uh <laughs> Not so much, <laughs> and it, and it's really I, I think it's really hard to make a swing change. I think that there there is there's a lot of attention on you know guys who have made successful swing changes. You mm-hmm. know, like JD Martinez or Justin Turner, those those kind of guys. But it's it's really hard to do. So I was kind of skeptical going in but seeing the way it works now see, seeing the power that really is in there that he's made the adjustment to with his swing mm-hmm. to be able to tap into in games other than just put the ball on the ground and, and rely on that top end speed that he has is pretty impressive there, there's still some strikeouts I don't think it's a crazy strikeout rate and I think right now more, right yeah. now
0: he's striking out 25.6 percent of the time through um, eighteen games and both he and Jordan Duran or excuse me, he and Jeter Downs are in triple A. Right. And through nineteen games, Jeter Downs is striking out at a thirty-eight percent rate, which is well above what he's ever done prior to that. Although this is yeah, both of their first ints at AAA, and it's also a very small sample still.
1: Yeah, I think that'll come down for for downs, oh, I hate the way that sounds. Oh but wow, Ben, <laughs> cringe. <laughs> it's, but but I I think I I actually think it'll probably come down to for Duran a little bit just just as he gains better feel for for his swing and, and finds that right balance between power and contact. I don't think he, he's never been like an elite elite contact type bat, but I, I I think you'll see the contact rate improve and and the power that he's showing. I don't think that's, I don't think that's fluky. I think that's in there. I think it's been in there and now it's starting to show up because of the swing change that he's made. Yeah. The home run to fly ball rate is, is crazy compared
0: to anything he's previously done. He's already set a single season professional home run um, record. I guess, is that a record if it's, it's just a single season high um, with seven home runs through eight game or 18 games, excuse me, Previously, his high was five home runs uh, between high A and double A in 2019. And he's homering uh, on like 40 43% of fly balls are homers at this point. I would expect that rate to go down a little bit. But yeah, it's it's hard to be too skeptical of this swing change being real. Um, I can understand concerns, even though you, you think the K rate is going to go down. I can understand concerns about how much does he strike out with this new swing with this new approach does that impact how often he's able to get on base I think those are are valid concerns um but yeah I don't have too strong opinions on either of these players but I do think just kind of looking at the tool set with the added power for Duran it's hard to not like the upside potential that he has with with now two really exciting tools in his running ability and power Uh, our next question comes from Joe Grantley on Instagram. What are your thoughts on Pirates right-hander, Roland C. Contreras, and how he projects? Big, this fan, one too as well.
1: big fan of Roland C. Contreras. Yeah, I liked him a lot. I liked him when he signed. I think he was yeah, not that big of a guy, but had a really fast arm, could touch the low 90s, and had really good spin or feel for spin on his breaking ball. And he's... The Yankees had had like a whole bunch of arms in the lower levels, probably like Luis Medina gets the most attention because he throws 102 miles an hour and has a hammer curve. I don't know. Luis Medina has better raw stuff and his track record of throwing strikes is <laughs> way, way worse, but it does seem, it does seem like it's going the right direction, at least for for Medina on that front, but certainly a lot more, uh, strike throwing <laughs> risk with Medina than with Roansy Contreras, and yes. But when when they when the Pirates made that trade to to get Roansy Contreras in that deal for for Jamison Tyone, uh, I, I I was like that's that's the guy you want, man. Like I was pretty, I, I thought that was a good move for them. And yeah, he's getting a Double A this year throwing a lot of strikes, strikeout rate is up. Stuff looks like it's ticking up too. I think there's he's still I think 21 years old too. So young starter profile, throw strikes, uh, good stuff, uh curveball that can that can miss a lot of bats. So yeah, I I think this is I mean he's not in the top 100 right now. But he's certainly, he's certainly in the conversation or putting himself into that conversation to to jump into there at some point, maybe by, by mid-season this year. Yeah, I really love his, his track record of just throwing strikes at a high
0: rate, limiting walks. Um, he's a career 2.7 walk per nine guy this year. It's at 2.5. And like you said, the strikeout rate is up. He's at 14.1 per nine through four starts so far this season. If you look at his like swinging strike percentage, his called strike plus swinging strike percentage, uh, his FIP, all these kind of numbers that I'm looking at when, I, when I'm looking at these players. He shows up really well with the players in A, and especially if you're looking at players who are 21 years old, it's him, it's Hunter Green, and it's Shane Boss. Those are guys who are showing up at the top of these, these boards in A so far. There are some older guys who are also doing well, but if you're If you're looking at the players who are still really young for the level, he is like top two or three in all of these categories that I just mentioned. Um, So it's pretty exciting to see what he's done. Uh, And it seems like he's definitely an up arrow guy. Uh, Our next question comes from Chris Curtis on Instagram. Uh, What are your thoughts on Todd Helton belonging in the Hall of Fame? And I think this is our first Hall of Fame question, right? We don't get asked about this too often. We need to have Matt on here.
1: I think he's he's borderline for me. I wouldn't have a problem if he goes in. I don't have a vote yet. I think I will at some point in the next i don't know four or five years something like that, but yeah, borderline like he's 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 right on that edge for me, just i mean outstanding outstanding hitter outstanding power I I probably would vote for him but it's it's very close
0: yeah I'm a big hall guy I think I've discovered I would vote for him I think like you said it is probably a borderline case but for most of the borderline guys I find myself just voting for them every year we do our kind of shadow Hall of Fame voting at BA, I, I find myself filling up the ballot all the way and, and voting for a lot of these guys and just saying, hey, I'm voting for him It still is up to the rest of the, the pool. It's not like I'm the only one making a decision. So I like to give those guys the benefit of the doubt. I think he did enough. Uh, I know there's the course factor, obviously, and some people um, will use that against him. But I also think it's, it's pretty impressive to play your entire career in an environment that just makes every road game a nightmare for you so i think it kind of works both ways um obviously some of his numbers are going to be inflated because he's playing so many of his games there but there are other players who have who have had similar um home road splits and are in the hall of fame so i wouldn't i wouldn't use that to to cancel
1: it out entirely uh, yeah but I think and, I'm- and, and his park adjusted numbers are still outstanding mm-hmm. and i mean maybe just well, he did win Gold Gloves, but he's also—I mean, I was saying maybe that's underappreciated just because of yeah. how good of a hitter
0: he yeah, was. Three-time Gold Glove was a winner,
1: good, good, good fielder too. At first, I mean, look, uh, not the same as a you know Gold Glove at shortstop, but mm-hmm. it's still it still chips in and adds to his value. Yeah, I think his peak argument is pretty good, and I also
0: feel like I, I tend to be drawn towards peak players, uh, whereas maybe some other people don't uh like that as much as the longevity argument but uh, i mean he had a 17 year career so it's not like he was only around for for a few years at a high level he produced uh for a very long time so i I i'd say yes for me but again i don't i don't have a vote and i don't
1: uh i won't have one anytime soon either so well congrats to todd helton on making the future projection (laughs) hall of fame yeah the
0: first inductee of the future projection hall of fame
1: (laughs) second actually
0: after blaze jordan so oh i thought you put vladdy in uh actually i probably should but Were you, I know we, we joke about this in the Slack. Are you, are you big time blaze
1: Jordan hype guy? Uh, I I mean, I know Mark is, I I like the, I like the raw power. Yeah. He's, he's young for the class. We'll we'll see how the hit tool translates. I mean, like speaking of Vladdy, I mean, Vladdy or like what, where's blaze going to play? Like Vladdy did at least enter pro ball or enter I should enter the major leagues as a third baseman and he when he signed he was a left fielder (laughs) the Blue Jays kind of plopped him over at third base Mm. and people were like what are you doing but it actually (laughs) he was okay until he just got way too big and he I don't know he he might be able to go back over there but at this point it's like all right this (laughs) guy's such a good hitter just just, just yeah there. put him at third so, base and let him match so but. I don't know. it just makes me think well maybe and like Raphael Devers too when he signed people were like uh, I don't know if he stays at third base might end up at first so I think I think professional baseball you just have so many opportunities to get better on defense that you don't don't typically get and so much more access to better coaching and better resources. Mm-hmm that you don't get as an amateur player yeah. either in high school or in college, obviously blaze being a, a high school guy, but I, you know, I, I think guys can sometimes surpass what our expectations are for them for sure. Defensively and, and surprise for sure.
0: But yeah, I think you're right. I think Vladdy should be the first inductee into the future uh, projection hall of fame and and Helton can be our second one. So, all right, we'll hold off. On Congrats. Congrats to both of them uh joe hudson on twitter says do you see any change in teams draft approach from round seven to ten with fewer minor league teams will teams still draft as many cap saving players with those picks um i do think it'll be interesting to see how teams deal with it this year and moving forward i think this year is going to be the toughest for teams because not only do you have fewer teams to put all these players who are coming into your system, but you also just came off a year where you really didn't get to see a lot of your guys play at all. So maybe in a typical year, you would have enough information to feel reasonable about the players you were cutting to make room for new players coming in. This year, I don't know if teams are going to feel good about that at all. And like you said, if you have less spaces in general, are there as many opportunities to draft haircut types or money saving types put them in the system to go after other players it, it it probably is going to limit the ability to do that just because you don't have unlimited roster spots available this year certainly i think there's going to be a really big roster crunch and it's going to be tough when it happens but i think i don't see any other scenario and i think now in the new environment with fewer minor league teams even with a, a draft that's 20 rounds i think you're just going to see a lot of turnover year to year and players are going to have um, shorter leashes to really prove that they can uh, hang
1: with a pro team. Uh, ben and, D- and, and you have your 2020 international signings, your 2019 international signings, your 2018 guys, like some of the 2018 guys might, and some of them have already just been cut and released already, but yeah, it's, it's like a, an unusual one year period where mm-hmm. you did cut out all these minor league teams but you do have all of these players who are still in your organization and especially from the international side on the lower levels where, you know, we only, we only have so many roster spots to, to go around. Yep. Absolutely. Um, Our next one comes from
0: Jack Breen on Twitter. Is there a consensus among organizations that both high school catchers, Joe Mack and Harry Ford will be able to stick behind the plate? if given the choice, which would you guys choose first in the draft? Uh, so I think the easiest answer to your first question is just no, because there doesn't seem to be any consensus on much of anything in this year's draft class. And that seems like a pretty safe blanket answer. Um, and I do think that both of these players are in first round consideration because what, what they can do and what their potential is offensively more than what they can do defensively. Um, or else I, I don't know if they would be in consideration for a first run range. So I think both have the tools to play catcher at the next level. And I think, like you said, Ben, the coaching and the instruction that you get at the pro level, maybe more so at catcher than any position is so much beyond what these guys have probably experienced so far. And there's just such a, such a gap, in the evaluations pre- and post-draft for a number of catchers in recent years that is it is going to be really tough for me to have any catcher where I say, no, that guy definitely can't catch because that seemed to be the opinion on Ryan Jeffers and he turned out to be a really good catcher. So I think I'm generally just going to be very open-minded about that. Same thing with with Henry Davis, who's at the top of the class and people seem to have a really split opinion on whether or not he can catch in the next level. Um, I, I think if unless you have any really obvious like makeup or work ethic questions i would be inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt um and as far as who i would pick i'm i'm drawn towards the athleticism of of harry ford Uh, although i think joe max bat is is really impressive Uh, but i'll take ford
1: yeah i'll I'll go with you on ford it's kind of an unusual it's it's a really unusual profile for a catcher i mean a catcher who can run under six, five. Right? So we're talking about a, a 70 runner. I mean, if, if he stays behind the plate, I don't think that's going to hold, but you could easily put him out and, you know, whether it's center field or, or maybe he slows down and, and goes to a corner. I, I, I just think he has the, 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 the athleticism, the speed, and and then the bat too. I mean, it seems like a really good history of being able to pretty consistently barrel balls and, and performing games, uh, you know, going back to, to last summer. So yeah, the hitting ability, the athleticism, the ability to probably play somewhere in the middle of diamond again, whether it's catcher or somewhere else. Um, I really, I, I think he'll, I, I like him more and I think he'll probably go ahead of Mac. Although Mac's season just, just started <laughs> in New York. So people are, are kind of just going up and, and mm-hmm. seeing them now. Yep, we got another
0: one from Cream City Prospects on Twitter. What tool is typically the most difficult to get a consensus grade on? Uh, again, I think there's a safe answer here, and I think it's probably just the HIT tool, just because that is the yeah. most its the most difficult tool in general to project. So that, that difficulty amping up probably makes it harder for anyone to have a consensus. So, and some, I mean, this is true of all tools, not just the HIT tool, but just the variants of conservative and Optimistic graders probably makes it tougher on the hit tool, although maybe maybe the opposite is true because there's probably a, a tighter window of, of hit tool grades that are thrown out in general. Um, but I, I still think probably the hit tool.
1: Yeah, arm, speed.
0: Like, I mean, some of them are easy to quantify and put a grade on. With the hit tool, you can't really do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, power. Y- you always have guys who end up surprising you, like I didn't think. When I saw Ozzie Albie's right before he signed, and he weighed like 128 pounds, (laughs) like I didn't think he'd be a 25-plus home run guy at that point. Um, You know, Mookie Betts early on uh, in his career, right after he signed, hit like no home runs. Mm -hmm. Alex is always another one
0: people throw out.
1: Yeah, yeah, another good one. So yeah, those guys we've talked about before, guys have really good barrel skills can and, and have bat speed can eventually get to more power and, and have a good idea of, of the strike zone too. I think can eventually get to more power just with physical maturity and, and a better understanding of of their swings and how pitchers are, are trying to attack them and, and which pitches they can really look to drive and do damage with. So there's you know there there are times you can be light on a player's future power grade but even the, the hit tool so especially as an amateur, sometimes even just evaluating how good of a hitter a guy is right now is, is difficult. Like there are guys who you think, Oh, like this guy can really hit. And then he gets to the Gulf coast league and is, <laughs> uh, you know, really struggles and, and struggles in, in, in full season ball the next year. But you don't really see that, you know, like you don't really grade out a guy having, you know, 60 raw power. And then he gets to pro ball and people are like, I don't like, he has like below average rough. like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen all that much. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think the, the hitting is, I, I almost don't even call it a tool. Cause it's almost just like a, a, a skill itself. It's, it's not just, uh, just a raw physical tool, the way throwing or speed or, mm-hmm. or even raw power would be. But I would say if we're going to include it in one of the five traditional tools, that would be the hardest one.
0: Uh, Cream City Prospects also had a second question. How are position players throwing ability and arm strength typically evaluated? Is it entirely based on scouting looks or does data such as throwing velocity exist for prospects? Uh, That data definitely exists. I mean, even at the high school level at showcases, there will be uh, people with radar guns collecting that information. Uh, But I think that, also, can muddy the waters for you at times because scout or or players know that they're going to have a a velocity tied to to what they just do. So you'll have very obvious non game reps in those situations. Like yes. one of the, <laughs> one of the the better examples is, and then there are a number of players who have done this, but um, Blaze Alexander through 99 across the diamond at PG National a few years ago, and he does have very very impressive arm strength but he took like three or four steps as he was like gathering himself across the first base and and people did give him a little bit of criticism for that but at the same time in game he also showed off a really strong arm um while he was not set and while he's moving on the run and moving away from the bag so I think that's a case where you can see his arm strength displayed in a setting that is not realistic for game situations but the arm strength is still in there. Like you're not throwing 99 across the diamond, kind of like you were talking about with speed earlier, Ben. I mean, if a guy is running a 60, he has that speed in the tank, how it plays, maybe you can talk about in different specific scenarios, but it's still in the tank. Um, But yeah. And same thing for outfield too. If you've got a guy who has monster arm strength, but doesn't know where it's going, can't control the ball, has no accuracy. You're not just going to put, uh, a seven or an eight on the card automatically. Maybe you could project for it to improve uh, in the future, but that's kind of how I, I look at it. There, there certainly are data points for, for arm strength, but you can't just use those data points and, and feel confident about a grade you're giving, I would say.
1: Yeah. I think for, for catchers, that's, that's the one where if if you're going to put a gun on an arm, that's the most reliable Cause that's the one that's hardest to cheat at, right? Like you, you can do it a little bit if you like really take a longer release or even a longer step into the throw that you wouldn't take normally, but you're pretty much throwing from that, you know, set standard position as a catcher. Now you can cheat on the pop time and all that stuff. So that's, that's a little bit different, but just as far as pure arm strength velocity, if you're seeing that for a catcher, usually that's pretty, pretty reliable or pretty translatable into what his arm strength is going to grade out the same way you're, you're grading out an arm as you know, from a more traditional scouting standpoint, whereas, yeah, the shortstop thing, like you said, there, there are definitely guys, like if you see a list of arm strength, uh, like velocities across the infield at a lot of these showcases in, in the U S uh, like, you, re- you really have to see like you said how that throw was done I don't mm-hmm. think like t- teams like you know like the showcase companies put out those lists and stuff I don't think teams are really putting the gun on guys yeah teams they're
0: not scouts from teams that these showcases doing it and I don't think they would even do it if even if like these companies weren't doing it themselves like I don't think they would go out there and feel the need to do that.
1: Yeah. Like I almost never, I've seen, there's like a couple clubs I've seen do it. Um, you know, like I think like the Astros, I've seen them doing it at you know, some international. The Astros. In yeah. But yeah, for the, for the most part, yeah. The infield is like, you, you're really more focused on, on, on grading the arm from, from what you're seeing there and also Making sure it's it's a legitimate <laughs> throw, not shuffle, 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 <laughs> shuffle, and then gear up to just throw it as hard as you can, so you can get as mm-hmm. high up that <laughs> showcase list as you can. And and outfield is probably similar. I mean, you take more, th- you know, you take more of a crow hop, obviously, from there oh, if for you're sure. throwing from the outfield. But still, like you'll see guys, all just like run, 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 <laughs> run, and then yeah. try to gas it up for for that list I've at got a showcase. To charge up the throw but um but yeah i mean it, it's sometimes outfield arm too is like arm is tough too because you don't always see a player make his most competitive like, you know you don't even see him make a competitive throw mm-hmm. in a especially game. for outfielders yeah and and then in a showcase setting too sometimes you see very especially the younger you go which i guess is where the showcases are you see inconsistent arm strength from players from day to day, or, or even throw to throw. Like you can have a guy who has a plus arm, and if you just happen to see him the wrong day, you might even turn him in with like a 45 type arm. Uh, he might just not get off his best throws that day. Maybe he was, you know, even pitching uh the day before or something like that so even something uh, as subtle as just the wind blowing against a guy can make it seem like his his throws
0: just don't have the carry that you would expect and if you, you're just not aware of that or you didn't notice it or it didn't seem like the wind is blowing hard where you're sitting but out in the outfield maybe it was carrying in a different way that just little stuff like that or, or even the weather if it's rainy all of that kind of factors in yeah the inconsistency is i think is a good point
1: yeah so i mean that all factors into it but yeah, mostly I think you're looking at, you're grading arm strength more traditionally by, by seeing it. I, I think catcher's a little bit different and, and, you know, the gun values can have, or, or the gun readings can have some value and, and some utility from shortstop or, or from the outfield, but yeah, you, you have to see how the player was <laughs> throwing it to, to make sure it's reliable.
0: Is a pop time or like you were saying, putting a gun on a catcher's arm? Which of those, if you had to pick one, which do you feel like is more useful? I would have said the pop.
1: Uh, as long as it's a game pop time, right? Like that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean that, that that's where you can cheat it, especially as a catcher. Like you, you, you go to a you see these lists of you know top catcher pop times at this showcase, and it's like this guy threw one seven eight, this guy threw <laughs> one eight four. Yeah, And then it's like, well, yeah, he's got, you know, no mask on, like no, no chest protector, like no chest protector on. He's catching the ball out. He already said sideways. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's not a real throw. Like if you put a batter in there and he takes a swing, like he's going to knock the catcher in the back of the head. Kind of like, (laughs) that's not a real that's not that's not real. And, and the guys lobbing the ball into you straight like you don't have to catch a breaking ball, all that. So, yeah, again, it it, it has go, going to a showcase and seeing a catcher throw to second base, get those three or four throws or whatever, however many it is to second base has value. You can see the way a catcher throws his mechanics. You can get a sense for his arm strength there. But, yeah, you need to see it in the game. So I, I think the pop time is probably the most valuable, but I also want to see arm strength. Like I, I want to see how every component of the way he gets the ball from the time it, it hits his glove to the time the ball, uh, you know, to, to his exchange, to his arm strength, the time the ball hits the the shortstops glove at, at second base. I want to see how everything works because you might have a guy, you know, if, if you have a 17, 18 year old catcher with uh, a huge arm, but the pop times don't reflect it in games. All right, well, maybe we can just clean up something with his footwork, or maybe yep. it's a longer release that we can shorten up for him. Maybe he's just slow on the exchange and we can work with him mm-hmm. at that. Or, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe a guy has a, a fringe average arm but all right he's young there's some more strength projection there we can project it up to average and he has really quick feet and he has a really quick exchange so it's a 45 arm now but it plays up and we think it'll be a 50 that that eventually plays up so you want to see how everything all of the different pieces work and and separate them out and and view it that way too i think
0: Mm -hmm. definitely uh our last question is from mjr sports cards on twitter would you trade brandon marsh for alec thomas uh and i guess just for the sake of like clarity we'll just say who who would you rather have because i don't know which direction this trade was headed in uh based on that um but brandon marsh or alec thomas do you have any obvious this guy or this guy
1: uh
0: I love Alec Thomas. I knew I you mean, were going to say the, that. <laughs> you know cons- that Mar- Marsh is higher on our top 100 now, but we both do really like Alec Thomas.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I say Marsh is higher on our top 100, and that probably would be the consensus. I would think. I think most people would probably take Marsh. I think it's probably. I think it's probably closer, maybe than what our rankings indicate. Even though we obviously have Thomas ranked pretty high, to. I, I, I might still go for Alec Thomas and I I, I just really I believe in his hitting for ability. Guy, man. Yeah. Center field, good defender there. I th- I think he I think he has a chance to be one of those guys who hits for more. He's not that big of a guy, but I think the feel for hit is there. I think he could be one of those guys that ends up hitting for for more power than than we expect down the road, even though Marsh has that frame and uh charlie blackman looking beard (laughs) that he has going on that oh it looks like he's going to hit for more power than than thomas but i I really believe in in thomas's hitting ability and and defense up up the middle yeah right now
0: alec thomas is top 10 in double a this is all of double a and weighted on base average and of the the players in the top 10 uh he and gabriel moreno uh, the Blue Jays catching prospect are the only two who are 21 years old. Everyone else is, I think, either, okay, Nick Prado is also here. He's 22. And then everyone else is either 24 or older. So, again, these, these little statistical samples or the sample will be more meaningful once we actually get into more games. It's still not a ton, but I feel like it's pretty promising and, and pretty encouraging that he is in, in that kind of tier at Double A now, and this is his first stint in Double A, correct? So yeah, yeah, first time there. Yeah, pretty good stint. He's hitting three thirty eight, four thirty six, six fifteen right now. Uh, Twelve walks, sixteen strikeouts, pair of homers, six doubles. But yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, I really like Alec Thomas personally, and it's also probably because I was able to cover him in the draft and really saw his his hitting ability in person um, very prominently um so i like him a lot i really buy into the bat there so i think we're both going with the underdog pick
1: on this one d-backs d-backs getting some good left-handed hitters recently
0: yeah Yeah, they're uh they really target hit ability guys in the draft recently and our latest mock had them tied to another one so there's a tease if you haven't seen the mock draft go go look at it Ooh, there could be a couple guys that could be too yeah that's a good tease thank you (laughs) (laughs) And with that, I think that exhausts the topics that we had planned and, and the questions that we had for for this episode. Again, apologies if you are one of those people who really likes the super long form, but you'll have to uh, blame me for having to go write draft reports. And and Ben has to go write draft reports too. We're both doing that this time of year. And you have got minor league players to see. We just got a lot going on. Yeah, we got we got a lot of good things, man. It feels good. It feels very good compared <laughs> it feels to last good, year, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. Could you imagine if we'd started this podcast last year? What would we talk about?
1: Or would we just give up and try again? Uh, what would we? Movies? Were there, <laughs> there weren't even movies last year. No, <laughs> no, movies got
0: shut down too. <laughs> yeah, so, Although A Quiet Place 2 is out this weekend. I really want to see that. you have any interest in, in the A Quiet Place series? Uh, would I be able to follow it if I didn't see A Quiet Place 1? I mean, I think the the premise is fairly obvious. So I think probably. The first one was really good though. Are you a movie guy, Ben? Are you big? I know if we had Josh on the podcast, he would have already checked out and logged off. He uh, literally does not watch movies. But I, think, I feel
1: like most people generally like movies. I'm not that extreme, but uh, I, I feel like there's a there's a lot of movies where if I told you I had that I hadn't seen them, you'd be like, What? Like, how have you not seen that movie? Like <laughs> everybody see uh, no. But... Have you seen Pulp Fiction? I have not seen Pulp Fiction. <laughs> okay, you got to watch Pulp Fiction. I think it's overrated, but I guess you have to watch it. All right, I probably will not. But <laughs> <laughs> so you're not a movie
0: guy. I, se- just... I mean,
1: like I've I've seen the Star Wars movies. I'm not like oh my those. gosh. I'm not right. one of those people. Like <laughs> all right, what's your top three Star Wars movies then? Oh, I'm not. I'm not that into Star Wars. Oh come on. I, like, What's, your, I, what's I... your
0: favorite one?
1: Probably the original ones. So the original three are
0: your favorite three. Yeah. Okay. Matt will be proud if he's listening. <laughs> All right. I think Matt, that's going to yeah, wrap Matt it up. For us. Much... Yeah. <laughs> uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Thank you for dealing with our uh, amateur movie talk there at the end. Um, but again, if you haven't reviewed the podcast and you want to, you feel inclined, you can wherever you listen, I believe. I would think most of the, the apps have places where you can review and rate. Um, so that still helps us out. Again, thank you to everyone who who has done that. Um, And thank you to everyone who's just been listening. It's been fun to do this podcast. It remains so. Um, I'm excited to do it every time, even if if we do have a little bit less time right now. Uh, Ben, anything you want to plug before we jump off?
1: No, just going to write some more draft reports after this call.
0: Sir. All right. Well, uh, until next time. See you later, everybody.